Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. Uh, this is part two to the uh, conversation that me and Matt had last Saturday uh, with, you know, just concerning the uh, Reformation and Martin Luther. Uh, please sit back, relax, and enjoy. If you'd like to drop us a line, please do that at the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com. Also, you can give us a voicemail if you'd like at 612-88-TRUTH. Now, here you go, part two. Thanks for listening. This is truth. Yeah. And so, as far as the... Um, and so, yes, yeah. so he, um, he, he does this, and then he leaves, which is amazing. Again, testimony of, I think, God's grace. He gets out of there mm-hmm. because of all the ruckus that takes place, because of the, 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 the crowd that's watching... The, the bystanders it creates a, a ruckus he gets out of there you know underneath the 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 issues and that's when uh um he's hidden away by essentially uh, uh he was kidnapped right yeah yeah by yep yep and he's hidden away and uh in wartburg castle and um, condemned as a heretic and that's when he translates the german uh the the Bible into German, and that's fifteen twenty one, fifteen twenty two, and it's after that that um, he returns to Wittenberg. About a year, a year and a half later, he returns to Wittenberg and continues writing, and that's when he starts writing his hymns, and um, that's when the the revolts, the peasants' revolt, and all of that starts to happen because mm-hmm. he's continuing to write, but then now. Um, some of his followers or some of actually I think he was one of his students or even a I can't remember if he was a he was, he was a professor with him Thomas Munzner and uh, he becomes this radical and and uh, many people follow him and that creates this whole protesting and it essentially is what's known as the peasants war and many of them die and it it really bothered Luther because that's not what he wanted that wasn't his plan and yet that's what happened as a result of so much of what was going on. And, um, and so uh, um, that creates tension even in his own heart where he deals with, you know, what's going on, what's happening, and he deals with even some discouragement and uh, a bunch of things at that time. That is also the beginning of the Anabaptist movement at that same time, which is interesting, 1525, 1526. But it's also at that time that he meets uh, Catherine von Bora, which is his wife. Mm-hmm. She's the nun runaway. So a bunch of them run away, uh, leaving the <laughs> nunnery, leaving, right? Because that was happening. People were starting to realize this wow. is a joke. Mm-hmm. So again, you can just imagine the, the disruption across the whole country. Yeah. Because the whole country was was driven by this whole system because again you didn't have separation of church and state yeah it was all the same it was all tethered to Mm -hmm. and and the state was essentially the church discipline arm of the church Mm -hmm. right and so that's why they were essentially trying to kill luther or catch luther to kill him and uh it was a it was a mess so yeah so he he um marries Catherine, which becomes a tremendous blessing to him. They have six children, of which two die uh, before Martin Luther. So you can see the turmoil that he lived through as a man. His uh, one daughter, um, Elizabeth, dies uh, as an infant, and Magdalena dies as a teenager. And he wrote a lot of, quite a bit about her and about mm-hmm. the pain that he went through as a father dealing with that. 
Um, he would preach about 200 sermons in a year and, um, and, uh, uh, even, um, between the, the birth of Elizabeth, which was 1527 and Magdalena in 1529. Um, yeah, it's, uh, um, did you say 200 sermons a year? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, uh, four services. A week. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And that was in the year of, of those, in the time between those daughters are born. So mm. you imagine, you know, dealing with children and yeah, continuing. that's a lot. Yeah, and um, so between, uh, um, I'm trying to, I'm just reading. Yeah, so between the years of 1510 and 1546, which is about the time that he dies, if I'm remembering correctly, yep. Um, he preaches, and this is one of the th- legacies of Luther. He preaches over three thousand sermons. Good grief! That's a lot. As somebody who preaches, mm-hmm. yeah. And again, that's just the way these guys were. They were, they were, they 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 were saturated with the word, and they were they were committed to the word, and they didn't fool around with shows. They mm-hmm. didn't fool around with. They were serious about it, and um, um. Yeah, so uh, 1527 is when he writes uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, that's also when the plague hits Wittenberg, and Luther Luther uh, actually turned his house into basically like a hospital. So, you know, he dealt with pandemic, and which is interesting in our day and age. And um, in 1529, uh, Luther and Zwingli split over the Lord's Supper. That's a big deal. Um, and, uh, a lot has been written about that, the difference between, uh, Zwingli and Luther and what they had in common and what they had in different, what they were different over. Um, he publishes in 1534, uh, the complete Bible in German in both old and new Testament. Um, his lectures on Galatians are published in 1535. He continues to write large catechism, small catechism. Actually, I got them right over here somewhere. Um, he writes a number of articles and treaties. It's in 1542 that his 13-year-old daughter Magdalena dies, and that, that just has a massive impact on him. You can see it in his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1545, the complete edition of his Latin writings with a preface containing much of his bio- biographical reflection. And then in 1546, he preaches his last sermon in Wittenberg, and on January 18th, he dies at the age of 62, on February 18th. And so, uh, interesting, uh, interesting history and interesting, uh, life. And so, like you were saying, um, um, many have written about his, his, uh, studying in the book of Romans, specifically on the righteousness of God. And it was in Romans 117 that he realizes that justification is not a process because that's what Roman Catholicism teaches, but that it's a single act of God declaring the righteous sinner. And uh, that becomes formative Mm -hmm. in his understanding as it should be because it's foundational to the gospel. And um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the life of, of Martin Luther in, uh, in overview. Now, what do you want to go back and dig apart? Anything? Well, no, I, I actually, uh, asked all the questions that I needed to. Um, maybe there's something that you want to add because I know that there's always something that you want to add. Uh, one of your favorite lines is, uh, on many levels. Yes. Um, and also, and I can say much more about that, but, um, <laughs> you, uh, this, this is pretty thorough. 
if, if yeah. anything, and, and that's what I like about it. It was it was very thorough. Yeah. Um, there were some things that I, I I knew about it because for me, I, out of history, Martin Luther is one of the, my most like one of the most interesting people uh, in 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 history. Uh, but he is he is definitely somebody that I have looked at and and you know especially looked at his teachings. Um, I've read through the ninety five theses. I haven't like. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't remember all of them, obviously, because it's ninety-five of them. Yep. Um, but I think that you know it would be good for us to, and what I, I, can, I can actually do is read through them uh, in a separate kind of podcast, so that yep. people can know exactly uh, what he was saying. Yep. I also found that prayer uh, that that he that he prayed, and I think we can um, we can end with that. But as far as a any practical application that we would have uh from his life i mean mm-hmm. what would what would that be like what would a practical application that we would have from his life be yeah i would say um a couple things one pulling out some of the stuff that's not um maybe not as readily known uh, because we know so much about luther and 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 which is a blessing um one is that luther was not perfect and that Luther had some issues, some pretty big issues, actually. Um, most people don't know that there's a lot of rhetoric that he used, even about the Jews, that was very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was driven by emotions because he tried to evangelize the Jews and and uh, was rejected pretty severely over a course of time. And then he kind of uh, really was filled with some pretty nasty speech towards them. Mm-hmm. And that has been talked about though most people don't realize it but if you study history you'll see that so he had issues he was a, an emotional man he would often use some foul language and and be involved in some things that we would say is not right and uh, so there's some clear uh, he was a man's man he was not perfect um, yet um, he was the man for the day to do this it took mm-hmm. that kind of man mm-hmm. to stand up yeah. against the pope and the whole system of the day and I think there's something to be learned from that, that, and it's this, that God will often use, well, excuse me, he always uses, but he often will use imperfect men, mm-hmm. right? And uh, oftentimes we think that that it's, uh, you know, God's looking for this perfect person. There is none. And so I think there's something about that that we learn from Scripture. Paul was imperfect. David was imperfect. Moses was imperfect. Peter was imperfect, right? And we often have this view of ministry that that God, you know, only uses this kind of person, and that you have to be qualified, but you have to be humble, mm-hmm. and none of us are. So God will humble you, right? And He did, he and He did Martin Luther on multiple levels. Another thing that most people don't realize is that Martin Luther was a family man, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he loved his kids. He spent uh, loved his wife. And he loved having people in his home. And I've actually, as a pastor, have learned a lot from Martin Luther in this. So Martin Luther is still used today in Ligonier Ministries. They titled their they titled their little magazine, monthly magazine, I think it is, they put out Table Talk. Mm-hmm. Well, that comes from Martin Luther. And that's what he did. He opened his home in the morning for what he would call Table Talk. And that was, he had his own seminary training center of, of, of men, but he would bring them into his home with his wife and children, and they would sit around the table while they ate breakfast or after breakfast, and they would talk, talk theology. 
And that became some of the richest moments of teaching where uh, writings and stuff came out of that, where he would interact with people. And just his home was wide open, just anybody come. And that became a big deal of teaching. There's something else that most people don't realize. In the day, in that day under Roman Catholicism, there were no married pastors. So you have all these priests running around who have right, never right. been married. Wow. So you know how vital it is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ as a husband. But if you've got no pastor, you can't understand the Bible because it's in a language you don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's preached in a language you don't understand. Mm-hmm. How are you ever going to grow as a husband? And the Bible is really clear what you're commanded to do. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a priest, not a pastor, who's not married, who you have no model, you have nobody but your wicked neighbor, right, who might be godly or might not be. So you're, who are you following? Well, you don't have anybody. So when Martin Luther marries Katie von Borent, that was a massive deal. No, most people don't. Yeah. That is a massive, again, difference between the old way and now the new way. Mm-hmm. Here's the leader of this new movement who's actually going to marry a woman. Wow. Now he's going to have children mm-hmm. and he's going to live a life mm-hmm. that God has designed and he's going to model that and he's going to bring people in his home and show this is how you live. Think about how foundational that was mm-hmm. for uh, what was then the beginning of the Reformational Church where they would now have pastors who were married and had families that they could learn from. It's huge, huge. Wow. That is a part that most people don't realize. Mm-hmm. And uh, that not all not all of the magisterial reformers got that right, um, but um, Luther, Luther, for the first one, really, in many ways, did. He did, and uh, he did, you know, Katie was the perfect woman for him because she was she was serious she didn't take you know she wasn't a she wasn't a pushover Mm -hmm. and uh he was pretty he was pretty uh again a man's man he was pretty rough but she could she could put him in his place and he needed that Mm. uh not that she wasn't submissive or godly i'm just saying she could call him out there's a really neat story i've read multiple times where he would battle with depression in that he would get discouraged because of as I read through, again, we, we, we often will criticize Luther because he didn't go far enough, right? He held to a view of communion that wasn't what we hold to. It was kind of this mix between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism and, and uh, you know, uh, consubstantiation. And, and, you know, he held some other views, infant baptism and things that were just like, you know, why, why didn't he fully break? Well, again, you got to understand the history. It wasn't his initial desire to break. He was a committed Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. but he, the, the gospel broke him. Right. And so the gospel broke him from it, but he still held on to some of those secondary issues because, again, he had nobody to follow. Mm-hmm. Think about it, like I just said about marriage. Who did he follow in that? He had nobody. No. Yeah. He had his father and he had you know the commoner, but he didn't have leaders in his life saying, mm-hmm. this is how you do this. Mm-hmm. right? So think about how hard that is. Yeah. Now think about being a pastor and a, and a theological leader when you have nobody. Mm-hmm. There's no writings. There's nothing other than the scriptures. So now you see why he's totally sola scriptura because that was all he had. Right now, he would read Huss. He would read those Wycliffe, and he had some of those things, but they were they were small. They were few and far between. So um, you can see the impact that he he was having, which mm-hmm. was which was uh, massive. So when he's bringing people into his home, 
that was huge. And uh, writing a catechism for children, that's huge because that just didn't happen. And uh, so, yeah, he's he changed a lot more. The hymns, right? Um, that was massive, mm-hmm. writing hymns in common language for people to understand and hear. and I mean, changed the whole landscape of, of music, uh, Martin Luther did. And that was massive. Most people don't realize that and um, and what that did. And so there's there's so much more to the Reformation than just the 95 Thesis, as you saw, right? 1517 was just, wasn't even really the beginning. It goes all the way back to Huss and, and, and Wycliffe and 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 uh peter waldo but but even there it goes all the way to 1521 with the diet of worms you have all that time in between when he's teaching and there's a lot that went on mm-hmm. um but i think even his relationship with his father is interesting how he tried to mend that that was difficult when he did his first uh mass his father came to it and his father was irritated and uh, luther was so nervous of spilling the blood that he couldn't even finish the mass. Mm. Father thought he was worthless. Father thought he was a waste because again, his father had invested money to send him to school to be a lawyer. And now he's this selfishly. He, yeah. And he's this priest who can't even do his job. Right. Right. And so there's this tension that really bothered him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he, there's writings about that. And, and so you see that, you know, his desire, um, um, and dealing, but I want to go back to his relationship with his wife, which was so important. And so he's struggling with discouragement, and he would get in these funks as most pastors do, and he was beating himself up and and struggling. And his wife uh, came down one day to I guess his study, and she was all dressed in black with a black veil, black dress, everything. And he looked and said, "Oh, who died?" funeral are we going to who died uh, i missed it and she said god died and he's like what what are you talking about and he she said surely god is dead because the great martin luther is walking around here in a stupor and the only way that he would act like this if god is dead so i'm assuming god has died and he <laughs> he's like woman what are you talking about wow. and she's like what are you doing you're acting like it's all over. It's not over. And that's what I mean where she was she was tough and she you know, she nailed it. Like what are you what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, right. So you didn't do this right or that didn't turn out the way you wanted or this is wrong or whatever and those realities of ministry are hard, but she's like, "Come on, wake up. God's in control. What are you doing?" And uh that's that's a good woman. That's a that's yeah. a serious uh a serious look too because just imagine she's walking it's like you were dressed in black like who died it's like yeah. god died it's like okay i get it <laughs> you yeah. know like thanks you know yeah yeah that, so yeah wow that's good that's good i, I like that so um all now, hearts and minds clear no well you got some more well just, go ahead it's fine it's just, fine just um because i'm because as i'm looking at the time we might have to split this into two anyway so well uh i'll i'll Come yeah. on, it's you, you. You got me learning, so you you you're learning me. So yeah, um, he he was really sick um, multiple times, mm-hmm. and this is true with all the all the reformers and Luther and Calvin was really sick as well. Most of those guys were really really sick. They dealt with a lot of problems health wise, mm-hmm. in large part because of just the day and age. I think it's interesting when you think he he. He dealt with the loss of multiple children. He dealt with a pandemic. He dealt with personal 
deep physical pain, all kinds of, he dealt with some serious health issues, and yet look at what he was able to do, mm. right? And our day and age, you know, uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're just, I've said it, we're just all weak people. <laughs> And, uh, and yet you look back at the conditions they lived in, no modern plumbing, no modern lighting, no internet, no air conditioning, no modern refrigeration, no modern vehicles, no modern housing. Mm-hmm. Imagine, right? We're just soft. We're mm-hmm. a bunch of, we are a bunch of soft people. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I think it's helpful when you go back and you put it all in context. They're not perfect. Right, I've said that many times. The Puritans had issues. The Reformers had issues uh, on many levels, and we got to talk about them and deal with it. But yet, when you go back and you read and understand the Reformation in its context, it is humbling and it is convicting when you see what those men did, not because of them, but because of God's grace in their life mm-hmm. and their commitment to truth, mm-hmm. their stand for truth. They truly were ready to die for what they believed. Mm-hmm. And that is always the mark of a good leader when he is a man of conviction. Mm-hmm. Good leadership is always driven by conviction, not consensus. Mm-hmm. Consensus is what does the masses want? That's what I'll do. Conviction is what is, in this sense, what does God say? That's what I'm going to do. Well, Martin Luther was a man of conviction. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was convinced that this is what God says, and I'm going to follow it no matter what you do. And I think why he was able to continue to minister despite losing children, despite dealing with health issues, despite dealing with difficulties in ministry that are beyond anything we can deal with, this, despite the pandemic, mm-hmm. why does he not leave during the pandemic, but he stays? Mm-hmm. I actually read a, a number of things about that when our pandemic hit. I went back and read Luther and wanted to see what his thought process was during a pandemic and how he responded. It was very helpful, very humbling, very convicting mm-hmm. in how he, and yet very, he was wise. He was like, you know, if so-and-so's this and I'm not going to their house, right? He wasn't right. just like throwing caution to the wind. Right. Yet he's like, uh, God has called me to minister. These are my people. I'm not going to leave. And so it was, again, how could they do that? They did it because he was a man of conviction. He didn't care about his own life. He didn't care uh, about preserving himself. He cared about, you know, serving the Lord and, so that's a massive lesson that I think we need to learn. And um, and the Protestant Reformation is not over. It's never over. Yeah, It continues. We're still protesting. I'm a Protestant. I'm still protesting Roman Catholicism because it's still here. And uh, and I'll always be a, a Protestant, right? That's that's who we are because I believe in, in, in grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone for the glory of God alone. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's it. That's the heartbeat of the Reformation. And, you know, Roman Catholicism does not embrace that as much as they would want to say that. It's always grace and faith Mm -hmm. and... Grace plus. Yes. That's where the sola, the alone, is Mm -hmm. so massive. Right. They believe in grace. They define it differently. They believe in faith. They define it differently. They believe in Christ. It's a different Christ. They believe in Scripture. It's not scripture by itself Mm -hmm. it's added to the traditions of the church right and so you know that's just the reality that luther was seeing and dealing with and that reality continued to persist so we like to go back and talk about the reformation as a point in time i like to talk about it as a process 
and it continues. Mm-hmm. We are in revitalization in our church, and that is just in many ways what started, you know, at the uh, at the Reformation and and before continues. And we see that in Scripture, even with the letters that Paul wrote. That's what he was doing, seeking to reform the church, seeking to encourage the church. And so we continue to do that on multiple levels. So That's good. Let me read this uh, poem. I'm sorry, this prayer. And this was Martin Luther's prayer uh, right before the Diet of Worms. You find it? Yep, I found it. Yeah. Well, I hope it is. It's, yeah. it's from uh, the Luther Reformation uh, website. O God, almighty God everlasting, how dreadful is this world, is the world. Behold how its mouth opens to swallow me up, and how small is my faith in thee. O the weakness of the flesh and the power of Satan. If I am to depend upon any strength of this world, all is over. The nail is struck, sentence is gone forth. O God, O God, O thou, my God, help me against the wisdom of this world. Do this, I beseech thee, thou shouldest do this. By thy own mighty power, the work is not mine, but thine. I have no business here. I have nothing to contend for with these great men of the world. I would gladly pass my days in happiness and peace, but the cause is thine, and it is righteous and everlasting. O Lord, help me. O faithful and unchangeable God, I lean not upon man, it were vain. Whatever is of man is tottering. Whatever proceeds from him must fail. My God, my God, dost thou not hear? My God, art thou no longer living? Nay, thou canst not die. Thou dost but hide thyself. Thou hast chosen me for this work. I know it. Therefore, O God, accomplish thine own will. Forsake me not. For the sake of thy well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, my defense, my buckler, and my stronghold. Lord, where art thou? My God, where art thou? Come, I pray thee, I am ready. Behold me prepared to lay down my life for thy truth, suffering like a lamb. For the cause is holy, it is thine own. own. I will not let thee go, nor... No, nor yet for all eternity, and thou the world should be, and though the world should be thronged by devils, and this body, which is the work of thine hands, should be cast forth, trodden underfoot, cut into pieces, consumed to ashes, my soul is thine. Hmm. Yes, I have thine own word to assure me of it. My soul belongs to thee, and I will abide with thee forever. Amen. O God send help amen it's pretty powerful yeah yeah and and really how how can you define that or describe that in one word conviction mm-hmm. you hear it bleeding through yeah. right he is a man he is convinced of his calling he's convinced of the veracity of what he's doing he's convinced of the sufficiency of scripture i lean on this i have the your word to assure me and he's convinced that if i die doing this it's okay mm-hmm. and and again that is so paramount because it it has always been God's. It's always God's way that it's the the men of conviction that bring real change. Mm-hmm. You go Joshua, man of conviction; Moses, a man of conviction; Abraham, man of conviction; Daniel, man of conviction; Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, conviction. Like when you go through Scripture, that is one of the attributes that is 
undeniably clearly connected to every godly man that God ever used. Mm-hmm. They were men of conviction. Yep. What do you find today in the church? You find men of consensus, hmm. not conviction. Mm-hmm. They listen to the crowd. They poll the crowd. They ask the crowd. And they do what the crowd says. Capitulate. That's it. Mm-hmm. Versus I go to God. I ask God. I search God. Because whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. No matter what. No matter what the crowd says. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. That's what you see there. And that story's of course, repeated throughout Scripture and throughout church history. So was John Huss. So was uh, um, uh, Wycliffe. So was Waldo. So is every godly man. So was George Whitfield. So was Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. And so was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, so yeah. John MacArthur. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it goes. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and the Bad Negro yeah. uh, last week <laughs> during Wednesday night Bible study. And the first thing I thought of is, uh, you know, it's like even if he doesn't deliver us or, you know, yeah, whatever that scripture that's is. That's literally what he just that's, said. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. And I figured uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and, and, and Abednego, it was like, you know what? If he doesn't save us, then we'll be a burnt offering. That's he, it. Either way, we're going to be pleasant. We're going to be pleasing God. That's so, it. Romans yeah. 12, man, I'm going to offer my body up. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, that is a that is an attribute of, of, of godly men that is, lacking in the world today Mm -hmm. and because again why where does it come from well you look at martin luther you can see some of this in who he is but it came from here here you go it came from the fact that he became convinced that scripture is the sole authority Mm -hmm. that's what sola scriptura means Mm -hmm. that all of life all of godliness all of the gospel all that he needs is right there in the word when you understand that, because that's what Scripture teaches, and it says it emphatically, once you understand that, you begin to now solidify biblical conviction. That can't be taken from you. Mm-hmm. You, you, you. No one can rob you of that. The Word of God never changes. The Word of God never disappoints. The Word of God never lets down. That's where biblical, that's where eternal, that's where never-ending conviction comes from. It doesn't come from the power of positive thinking. It doesn't come from Joel Osteen, think better about yourself. That's not conviction. That's uh, nonsense. You know, another word that comes to mind uh, when when it comes down to this, uh, it, it's, it's so much easier, like ease. It's so much easier to just say, okay, well, okay, Pope, I'll, I'll, all right, you're right. All of, everything I said was wrong. You know, all 95 theses, I'm sorry for this. You know, I, that is, I, I completely take that back. So much easier to do that than to say, here I stand. Yeah. And you know, you know what that is called? What's that? Compromise. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody does. It's Com- easy. It's comfort easy. Yep. is another it, word that come up. Yep. That's what, that's the byproduct of compromise is mm-hmm. comfort. Mm-hmm. The byproduct of conviction is generally not comfort because, because when you're when you're a man or a woman or or a church of conviction, the, usually the byproduct is persecution. Yeah, it's it's usually assault. It's usually mockery. It's usually everything that you don't want. Nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. You could hear it in his voice. He said, "I'd rather just go and live in peace." Right. Mm-hmm. And every godly man, nobody wants a fight. Nobody uh, looking for that. Who's godly? Right. But when you're a person of conviction, you as as we read earlier and well in another podcast in Second Timothy three, you will be persecuted mm-hmm. because a godly person will stand up for God. Mm-hmm. That's what conviction is. And so, yeah, it's it's a lesson, a foundational lesson of the Reformation. And uh, you know, born out of that, 
and I didn't bring this up and I'm, and again, I, I'm sorry because this is a massive point that I left off. So I'm glad I get to bring this out now or else I would do us all, do us all, uh, injustice. Um, and some of this is coming back to me now that we're doing this. I'm thinking it through and going, oh, we should redo the podcast now because it's fresh <laughs> in my mind. But I love it. I love church history. The Reformation at the end of the day, and this is why Sola Scriptura is so important. The Reformation at the end of the day was really all about hermeneutics. Hmm. And that's, again, I'm, I've been trying to pull out at the end here all these lessons that most people don't think of, right? Mm-hmm. We know kind of the famous stories and some of that, but... Most people don't grapple with and, re- and, and realize that hermeneutics is the most important thing you ever learn, ever uh, uh, grow to understand and apply. And it really was a, a, a hermeneutical reformation because what the reformers did was take the church back to the original writings, right? So instead of following the traditions of Roman Catholicism, mm-hmm. it was, and I didn't get into all of this in the history, but the Greek manuscripts in particular were starting to become a, a, a big deal as they were starting to find them and, and pull them out in the 1500s and through guys like Erasmus and different things like that. And the Bible was starting to be translated and all of that. And this reality of the hermeneutics, going back to the original languages, that's what the reformers brought that most people don't realize, the study of the original Hebrew and Greek, and that was a big deal. Most priests, they, they couldn't read any of the original languages, and uh, and yet, went, because they, they did everything in Latin, they right. were building off the Latin Vulgate, mm-hmm. right? And um, so when the re- Reformers were starting to study God's Word, they wanted to go back to the original source, and as close as we can get to the original is the Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. And so that's what they did. And that they became then students of original language and then fostered more students of that, which then brought greater clarity to the scriptures. And uh, that was massive. And so what they started to essentially bring was what we now know to be a a historical grammatical hermeneutic. That's our hermeneutic. That drives everything, where we understand the text in its historical context, and we understand the text in its grammatical context. Is that what hermeneutics is? Well, hermeneutics is the science and art of Bible study, gotcha. right? So it's the it's the way we read the Bible, mm. right? That's It's the art, the science of reading the Bible. Just wanted you to translate yeah, that. Yeah, and that's, that Latin. It's, a, it's a fancy word <laughs> yeah. for how we study Scripture, how mm. we read the Bible. Well, we read it through a historical, grammatical hermeneutic, really. I mean, you, some people like to say literal, but that's I think that's somewhat, somewhat given, right? But mm. uh, it's historical and grammatical, meaning just like we're seeing today, which I think is interesting. I've often said if I was ever going to do anything in government, I would like to be a constitutional lawyer. That would have yeah. been, I would have loved that because it's essentially similar to what I do as a pastor mm-hmm. because a constitutional lawyer who's an originalist does the same exact thing I do every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. They study the Constitution in its original context. What it meant then is what it means today. So they try to discern what it was meant, what it meant then when they wrote it in that context, and then apply that same meaning today because it doesn't change. We do the same exact thing when we rightfully read our Bible. The Bible doesn't change. It's, it's not. not flu- it's not it's, a fluid. It's not a growing. Yeah. It's not. It's the same. That's why you want an originalist mm-hmm. as a judge. And, and not a progressive, because a progressive is no different than a liberal today who reads their Bible 
and says, well, yeah, but that's what it meant then. But we got to change it because our times are changing. It's the same exact thing. Paul was angry when he wrote it. Yes. So yeah, it he didn't really like mean women it. and yeah. all of that. And now we've mm-hmm. got this. And no, no. And so, so um, that's really what was so much behind the Reformation was this hermeneutical reality that no, it's it's not up to the 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 Pope to tell me what the Bible says. I need to study the scriptures. I need to go all the way back to the original languages and try to figure out what is God saying here. And he wrote it so that I would understand it, and I can understand it. And we do understand it by the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, of course, who illuminates that. So that's what the Reformation was about. They wanted to rest the work and ministry of the church upon the Word, mm-hmm. not upon the, the doctrine of the church, i.e. what the Pope says. They wanted to go back to what God says, and that's all hermeneutics. And so that became a big deal moving forward, and it's a big deal today. It was always a big deal, but it got lost in the Middle Ages. It got lost in the Dark Ages because, again, Roman Catholicism did what it did, and it hid the truth, right? And it was sad and scary what they did under um, under the guise of academic language. And that's why most people don't know this. That's why stained glass windows are stained glass windows, right? Because people couldn't read. Right, they couldn't so they read just, in Latin. Yeah. So they put the parables mm-hmm. often on stained glass windows, right. and that's how people learned. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Think yeah. about sitting under in a sermon where you couldn't understand. Think about the it's nonsense crazy. of that. I've actually been in a Catholic service that was done in all Latin. Yeah, because Catholics still do that, Yeah, which is crazy. And I was actually uh, working, uh, well, not working, but I was a student in college, and yeah. I was playing with the gospel choir, and they did the entire service in Latin. So I'm sitting there like, Looking around, nobody understands what's what's going on. Yep. It's just some guy up there talking and just speaking in Latin. Yep. So it's like, okay. Let's um, look at the stained glass window a little bit. And think yeah, because now I'm, my eyes are yep. wandering. I'm like, oh, that, yep. that looks amazing. Yep. You know, and, it, it just doesn't make sense. And and as I think of, and as I think about this whole idea of hermeneutics, uh, <laughs> when you think through this idea of hermeneutics, you think of one particular thing, one Either they uh, take the scripture and twist it, or they take the scripture, add or take away from it. Yep. And my mind goes to Revelation 22. That's it. You know, anybody adds or takes away, it's like, oh, well, now it makes sense as to why that would be written in scripture. Yep. Because by God's providence, obviously, he knew that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Hermeneutically, you know, people were going to take uh, the scripture and just... The Latin Vulgate is something that I, I want you to kind of bring out as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, if people were reading it from Latin as opposed to the Greek and the Hebrew, mm-hmm. uh, that makes it so that they can they basically p- brought it from one uh, uh, language to another. But mm-hmm. they also brought their meanings along with they did, it. Right? They did. Yeah. There's some issues with the Latin Vulgate. There's some things that, you know, that they that they got right. But there's a lot that you know, was, was carried over mm-hmm. where essentially, you know, all translation involves interpretation at some level, right? Right. You, you have to. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that was brought over. And, and again, that's why, that's why the reformers wanted to get back to the Hebrew and Greek and then retranslate it from the Hebrew and Greek into then the language of the day. And that's what they did. That's why Martin Luther translates it into German. John Calvin, you know, translates it into French you know, and you have these reformers translate. I mean, they were they were they were translating the scriptures into the language of the day, which is uh, 
which is amazing, right? And um, and uh, which was again goes back to um, what uh, what John Wycliffe wanted to do. That was kind of what drove so much is he wanted to get the scriptures in the common language, and um, and that was so frowned upon, and um, so that was again all the way back to the beginning and where those rumblings of the Reformation, I like to call them, those rumblings were happening, mm-hmm. and Martin Luther was able to pick that back up. And he wanted to go, uh, you know, Wycliffe wanted to do that because of um, uh, of the reality that every man can understand God's Word as by God's Spirit, right? They can see it, and they and they can learn from it. And But the Roman Catholic Church wanted nothing to do with that. They wanted to hold the rights... You know, it had to come through them, and no one could understand it without being taught by them. Mm. And yeah, it's uh, scary. That's that's crazy. This has been a long podcast, longer than what we had uh, actually expected it to be. But hopefully, you all were able to uh, understand and pull some good uh, information out of this uh, concerning the Reformation. And uh, we appreciate you all listening. Uh, please like and subscribe the podcast. Also, leave us a five-star review if you could. Also, if you have a question, please uh, email us at the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. You can also s- drop us a line uh, at what's the number six one two eighty eight Truth. Hey, you all! Thank you for tuning in today. And uh, as we always do, we end with the gospel. So here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own Son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day, be reconciled to God.
Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.